Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. my generosity. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Olivia. Great song. God helps those who help themselves. Anybody know where that is in the Bible? What uh, scripture verse that's in? Let's see here. Uh, where is that? God helps those who help themselves. Anybody give me a hand there? What scripture verse is that? Where can we find that anywhere? Jebediah 45:53. I'm joking. That verse is nowhere in the Bible. And there's no Jebediah, by the way. Did you think there was a Jebediah? It sounds right, doesn't it? There's a Leon, though. That'd be cool. Leon chapter 4. There's no God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible anywhere. In fact, I would suggest that's the opposite of scriptures. The opposite of Jesus. The opposite of the essence of Christianity. God helps those who help themselves. Now, you might have heard that from mom who wanted you to get going and get something done. And as a parent, I've, uh, you know, I've employed God as the bad guy in getting kids to do things, I suppose. But God helps those who help themselves is not in Scripture. It's the opposite. God, I would suggest, does not help those who help themselves. And God only helps those who cannot help themselves. Really, really fundamentally important. It changes not only how you view yourself and God and how you got into this relationship, but also how you view others. Jesus brings it home with this parable uh, in chapter uh, 20. And you got to remember, when Jesus is speaking, even when he's speaking to his disciples, he has in mind these outside listeners, the spies, checking him out, making sure he's kosher, literally. The Pharisees, the chief priests. And uh, they would listen to Jesus, and Jesus would uh, frequently throw them little bones, cut them down in these parables, or of course directly confront them, but... Uh, the reason why they didn't like Jesus was he told them that they were sinners. Simple as that. He told them they were helpless. He told them that they were all that they thought they were. And he does that in today's parable. Chapter 20. Jesus and Matthew Right after he does, uh, when he talks to the rich young man, you know that whole story, right? The rich young man comes just all ready to get after it and finds that he's all that. 
Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and that's a classic beginning of a a parable. And what that phrase actually means is, this is how God does things. That's what it means. In God's universe, which is the universe, this is how he does things. This is how he reigns. This is how he works, right? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Um, So he's going out, let's say it's six in the morning, he goes out there. And this is something you'd see any other country, like second world, third world countries, you'll find this. You didn't have all the usual normal employment like we do in the U.S. Although you'll find this in the U.S. as well, where you have day laborers, right? You've heard that phrase, day laborers. That's how many people just sort of live. Their whole economy is based on that. You can't count on a job. You're just hoping that someone's going to pick you up and hire you. And so you go out early in the morning. I saw that, saw that in Kazakhstan, or like I'd say a second world country. You see that in Haiti. Uh, we do mission trips there, and uh, same sort of thing. You go out early in the morning, and people are out there, usually guys, just hoping to get hired. And not just for the money, but to do something. To say that they do something is kind of interesting, isn't it? And so they're out there just hoping someone picks them up and they feel useful, and they get paid. So this is, say, 6 o'clock. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. A very important phrase. Before this fellow found them, they were doing what? Nothing. And so he told them, uh, you also go work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour. So let's say it's about nine uh, o'clock, and the ninth hour, perhaps about twelve o'clock, and did the same thing. Then about the eleventh hour, he goes out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Now, The first people he found were doing nothing. And the people now at 11, the 11th hour are doing nothing. Now the 11th hour is another phrase. We use it all the time. The 11th hour usually means the very last bit of the day, right? The last second. Like, I got that project done at the 11th hour. I wrote this sermon at the 11th hour, right? It's the end. And literally the 11th hour for how they counted time, this is how they counted time, probably I would say 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, right before the end of the day. And for the Jewish world, the end of the day is sun, I'm sorry, the, the beginning, the end of the day is sundown. And the new day actually begins. And so the sun's setting. And he gets this person and tells him to go work in the vineyard. First of all, is he going to get any work out of this fellow? I always imagine this as a kid, like the perfect job opportunity. It's 4 o'clock, you're hired. You get in the vehicle, takes about a half hour to get to the vineyard. You're there. Five minutes later, closing time. Boom. That's literally what's going on. And so he takes these uh, people. It's the end of the day. He says... uh, 
Evening comes. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius, a day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected what? More. Even though no one promised them more. But they're looking and they're seeing, you know, these people basically did nothing. They got the same as me, of course. Of course I should receive more. Isn't that funny? They went from previously, before this guy came to hire them, they were doing what? Nothing. Their hands were what? Empty. And now suddenly, they are involved in a business relationship with this fellow. And they have all these ideas about how they're going to get more and how they deserve more and all these things. Isn't that crazy how that works? Like within that day. And let's be honest with this parable. I I love it because I know you can relate. Especially if you've had siblings. Because when you have siblings, soon you learn the word fair. And you employ that to your benefit as often as possible. Never so that the other gets the fair amount. You're never doing it like, let's make sure, I want to make sure my brother gets the same amount as me, mom. No, 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 no. You're never going to, you know, it's like Republicans and Democrats. (laughs) You're never going to do that. But when it comes to you getting what you deserve, you are suddenly an amazing lawyer. doesn't matter what it is, right? Even if it's something you don't really want, you're like, I'm going to make sure I'm getting the fair amount. It's Christmas time. Who's all got siblings here, by the way? Not everybody does. That's fine. (laughs) There's good and bad to both. (laughs) Christmas time comes around, and you're looking around the tree, and you're counting packages. Jason, I know you probably did this. Counting packages. Do I have enough? Are they the same size? It's crazy. I, I might have said this. I use this a lot. But I had this friend, uh, Mark Sattler, and I remember probably seventh grade. We're playing basketball. We go in side, and uh, we got one bottle of Coke, and uh, we're going to split it. And I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever. I don't care. Um, so he gets out two cups, and he puts it in, and he's, like, getting like this. Making sure it's exactly even. I mean, he kept on and he poured a little bit over here. I don't know, maybe it's OCD. I don't know, but crazy, isn't it? And it's very important to remember, we don't ever care about fairness for others. It's usually to make sure we get the same, that we're treated properly. And yeah, just like my buddy Mark, like I had nothing going in that house. Totally at his mercy. You give me whatever you got. Who am I to say I deserve anything? And so it is here, right? These guys look and they see these guys getting a full denarius. And instead of being happy for them, they only think about themselves. This is huge too, I think. Our obsession with fairness for us and also... We are not happy for other people. And I'm not saying this is the goal of this text. We'll get to that. But I think that's a problem. And I think it's, it, it stems from the fact that we don't realize all that we have is a blessing and a gift from God too. Have you ever had that? A friend at work gets the promotion and you're mad. A, a friend that's not even you're not even working with or whatever. It's just a buddy. And that person just does really well in life. 
they're going on this vacation or whatever, and something about you like, well, I want to do that too. Or, man, it just makes you kind of like, you're not happy for them. Instead, you immediately are thinking about what you don't have. Or maybe how that person really doesn't deserve all that. Why can't I have a rich uncle? You ever thought about that, by the way? (laughs) We do this. What is it about us? And I think it's a crime. And I I think a couple weeks ago, Paul says this when it comes to being church. Uh, Yeah, when we talked about a list of sort of like loving one another and living peacefully, he said this, you know, uh, uh, being joyous when other people are full of joy, right? Mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Mourning with those who mourn, I I think we do a better job than we do rejoicing with those who rejoice. Because for some reason, we think we get jealous. And why? Because we forget that we were that day laborer. That we were that guy, no matter when we were hired, what were you doing before God found you? Nothing. Who can you blame or praise for all that you have? God, and not us. You came into the world with nothing. God has literally personally taken care of you. Every little thing, every piece of clothing, every shelter over your head, husband, wife, family, whatever that is, friends. And he does it for nothing. He does it absolutely out of love. And really, you had nothing to contribute to it. And so Jesus goes on here. He says, each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Have you ever done that to God? Why do I have this? Why only that? What's going on here? God, just like Adam blames God for Eve, we blame God for our bad situation or good, even though sometimes we're the ones that put ourselves in that situation. But oftentimes we don't see how he has taken care of us because we always want more. Because we forget that we were once nothing. I encourage you to watch yourself this week. Just kind of watch how you react to people that do, do well. Just watch it. Just a fun experiment. And... Uh, By God's help, let's change that a little bit. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. When they received it, they began to grumble. These men, and then they said this, These men were hired last, worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You have a kid like that, (laughs) by the way? Definitely. I remember doing that to my parents. I've been, I've been picking, we had a big garden, and uh, isn't that funny? Yeah, you, you, a gigantic garden, and you're weeding beans, I think, maybe for an hour. But I remember, like, my sister's inside, and she was watching Annie for the five millionth time or something like that, and I've got a beef, you know, so I come in. Like, I've been just working and slaving for hours. That's how we sound as adults when we complain to God for what we have and when someone seems like they have more. And the guy answers, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? If you said that as a parent as well, I think that's a good parent one, right? 
I say, that's a really good one. That's my house. It's my food. I don't care. When you are dad, you can do these things, right? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? I love this. Are you envious because I am generous? You see, we see this story right here. God is generous. We also see that God's an awful business owner. He's terrible. You should never run your business like this guy, right? You're not going to hire employees that don't do any work and pay them the same. You would lose. You'd fail. God's terrible. He's incredibly way too generous. But that's how the kingdom of heaven works. That's how his reign works. It's not fair. He doesn't help those who help themselves. He foolishly just gives out and takes care of people. Do you think he needed any of these workers? He didn't need any of them. He was just giving them a home and a place and a purpose and a meeting. He went out not so he helped himself because he needed them to work in the vineyard, but because they needed him. And this story is not simply about economics in God's world. It's not actually about that. Don't run your business like this, although be generous. This is about salvation. Because the Pharisees were so mad when Jesus hung out with the prostitute, the woman married, or married like five times and sleeping with the guy she's with now. And they saw him hanging out with the tax collectors, the mafiosos, eating and drinking and laughing with them. And it didn't make any sense hanging out with the 11th hour people, the thief on the cross. His whole life, absolutely nothing, anti-God, didn't think twice about believing in Jesus before, now guess what? You're on a cross. <laughs> Suddenly you're a believer. That's what you're thinking. Oh, now you believe. Well, I think you should have a little probation. I think you should earn it. God helps those who help themselves. I think you should prove you really believe in me. But what does Jesus do to the thief on the cross who simply says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom? I, and he doesn't know why. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know anything about this Jesus much. He knows a couple of the miracles, and he knows he's called the king of the Jews. Most especially, he knows this guy's going to save me, and I've got nothing. I'm hanging on a cross. And Jesus, without question, without even a conversation, No hesitation hires him at the 11th hour. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The kingdom of heaven is like that. God works like that. You are here today because you once had not only nothing and were standing around idly, but as Paul says, we were once enemies of God. We were dead. And Jesus found you. Every single one of you. And maybe it was as a little kid like Leon. 
through the church. That's how Jesus grabs and takes and hires us through human beings, whether it's your parents bringing them to baptism, whether it was a friend inviting you to youth group, whether it was just recently. But all of us started out nothing, and God found us. Not only nothing, but going the wrong way, living in sin, atheists. Everyone's born an atheist, and God found you. Because he loves you. Not because he needs you. But simply because he loves you. And Jesus died for you. Without us ever asking for it, Christ laid it on the line, paid the price of all of our sins and our jealousies and our demand for our own rights and fairness. And worse, everything paid for and rose again three days later and freely has given you forgiveness and resurrection. And it was all completely free. You have nothing to do with it. He does not give it to you because you are a believer, by the way. You believe because he gives it to you. Does that make sense? You believe because he gives it to you. He doesn't give it to you because you believe. that's weird in this world because I think it robs us of some self-esteem maybe what can I do how can I help you God do this what do you mean I just sit here at the same time man it really should lift up your self-esteem that God would love you that much he doesn't treat you like a worker he treats you as a son or a daughter And he welcomes you not into the business and you can go sit with the employees but he welcomes you to the table and he feeds us. Continue with his forgiveness and eternal life. Think about that every morning. You are that thief on the cross. And knowing that, that enables us, hopefully, especially in a schismatic world full of self-righteous, judgmental people, For us, when we're in dialogue with others about Christ, about forgiveness, or about anything, to have a little patience with people, to not be jealous of them or upset or in our heart kind of like think they don't deserve God's love or God's grace. Who are we to talk like that? God loves them too. May St. James be that pickup that goes through this community, finding people that got nothing and they don't have meaning and they don't have purpose. And may we gladly get them in, into his church, into his community here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.